Yo, what's going down, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me a good time! Show me a good time. The third to last episode of Show Me the Meaning! Oh, Ryan, why? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we gotta tell the people, Austin. It's all right, you know? <laughs> all good things come to an end. You said we should tell it organically. This is the way to do it. <laughs> Fucking A. Yeah. We're okay, coming to so here's end. the deal. Here's the deal. We have three episodes left in this. Was this been five years, bro? Have yeah, we been dude. For five We've been years? Done it for five years, and I've met you, I think, in person once. Is that That's correct? right. One time. I love the internet. One time. <laughs> I know. You were much taller than I thought you would be. Uh, yeah. You and Jared were actually much taller that. than I thought you would be. I get yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, I'm six feet tall, and both of you are over six feet. I was like, oh. Okay, you guys are taller than I expected. You had more expected. tattoos than I anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, everybody. So that. here's the deal. We'll give a full explanation at the end of this podcast, but we just wanted to say at the outright, just to kind of build up some steam and momentum, invite you to come and freaking stick along, uh, stick with us and party with us as we kind of yeah. wind down what is the end of an era, right? We have three Ooh. episodes left. We're going to finish out March, and then Show Me the Meaning as a podcast is going to be placed into the archives, the annals of history, um, but we'll Podcast. explain more, <laughs> the annals of history, but we'll explain more at the end, so make sure you stick around for that. We don't want to belabor the point because we want to get into talking about what we do best. Let's talk about freaking movies, Ryan. Let's yeah, talk about a, good a movie in particular. Let's talk about Good Time. That's right, we're going to be talking about Good Time, the Safdie Brothers film from 2017 starring Robert Pattinson, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Benny Safdie. And, um, yeah, so I guess first, as always, we go around and we do a first impression. So, Ryan, was this your choice, by the way, or was this Raymond's choice? I'm sure it was on mine, but I can see it being on Raymond's, too. Okay, so first impressions. What was it like first time you saw it? What's it been like on repeated viewings, et cetera, et cetera? Let's get into it. All right, dude. I mean, this movie, the first time I saw it, I saw the Los Feliz 3 in L.A., Small, pretty small theater. Love that theater. It's great. And I was just blown away is the best way to put it. Like, it was everything I wanted in a movie. And I would like to underline that ten times, okay? It, uh, these guys just, I, I could tell from the, from the jump that they knew how to make movies. They knew how to mix sound and, you know, uh, uh, editing and video and and. They, I hope we get into the aesthetic a lot because a lot of yep. what I love about this movie is the style, but it's not just style for style's sake. It's telling an amazing story, an a, amazing kinetic story that only cinema can tell uh, uh, with these you know really really well fleshed out characters, but in a just gripping, engaging tone, aesthetic, style, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's amazing, and and uh, uh, there's. Plenty of scenes. Almost every scene of this movie blows me away. And then watching it again, I've kind of been bummed lately about movies. And I've been on a bunch of movie podcasts mm. lately, including this one. I feel like the last five movies I've just either been lukewarm or kind of uh, or I actively hated, like you know, the Batman or something. Like, mm. like I'm just nothing's really been you know pumps me up. Like, oh man, this is what I go to the movies for. This is why I love the movies. And this is one of those movies. This is probably the last big one of those where I was just like, it just reinvigorates me and inspires me. And it's like, anyone could, wow. not anyone yeah, can yeah. make this movie because there's lots of, you know, but, but it is a lower budget affair, you know, and we can talk sure. about the making of the film too. Uh, so that's kind of inspirational. And ter- their whole story is great. And they're, to me, like the saviors of cinema right now. I, know, I don't want to pump them up too much, and you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, them and Ari Aster and Jordan Peele are like, and uh, maybe like Greta Gerwig are like the to me the most I don't know refreshing young filmmakers Voices. out there today. Voices it, today. Have you were you familiar with the Safties before you saw Good Time, or was this your intro to them? Good Time was my intro to them, and then and then yeah, like the credits yeah. are rolling, and it's like executive produced by Martin Scorsese, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> what have I missed? Where yeah, where yeah. do these guys come from? Um, yeah, the, the, the one intro entry point into their filmography that I it's not even their filmography but th- their their closest collaborator I forget his name I'll look it up here in a second but they're the guy who edits who co-edits their movies and co-writes their movies Bernstein or something like that he made yeah, a Ronald, film, Ronald Bronstein Ronald Bronstein 
Anyway, that guy, he's an older guy than them, and he made a movie that I saw twice in film school, and I hated it. Okay, and and I would love to watch that again today because I think it's called what, Negative Frownland? Land. Frownland, yes. Frown, Frownland, Frownland. Yeah, yeah. It is a polarizing movie, <laughs> you know, but it's a, it, it, and you can tell where the how the Safties and him, you know, are kindred spirits. But like, mm-hmm. I remember, I I think I just saw it not in I I, I wasn't uh, as as intelligent and you know art, movie articulate as I am now. I probably would enjoy it more. But it definitely, I remember seeing it at South by, fucking hating it. But I just was like, I'm here. I'm going to watch it. And then being in a film class, and they go, they go, Hey, we're going to watch this movie called Frownland. And I go, You're kidding me. Not this movie again. <laughs> but and, and then it cracks yeah, me yeah. up that they're like his biggest collaborator. Anyway, I'm rambling. But yeah, the, uh, I had no, never no, seen. Good. I'd never seen their original movie about the. Uh, Heaven knows what or whatever. Yeah, that one. Um, and then there's Daddy Daddy Longlegs. Yeah, I've never seen. I have not seen their their small movies. I've only seen their two big mainstream movies. But I love them. Yeah, same. So yeah, for me, they'd been on my radar in terms of like when you you know when you just like try to search for who are like fresh new voices in in a particular artistic genre, right? So people were talking about them coming out of the festival circuit, and it was kind of like these are the up and comers to watch, right? And there was something fresh about what they did. But the first thing that I actually saw, the first full thing that I actually saw, was actually Uncut Gems. I had seen bits and pieces of Good Time, and I had uh, like read quite a bit about it, and I'd watched clips of it and analyses, but I'd never watched the full thing um, until after Uncut Gems. And I think for me, like my first impression was the good is their their ability to create tension, pace. Their visual and sonic aesthetic, I think, is amazing. Like the synth. And then also the colors, there's something very retro. Matter of fact, the film starts off, I felt like it was 1980s, you know? Like, there's something that they kind of just did about mood that kind of pulled me into, like, oh, this is how people used to make movies. And I know that that's like a, like, nostalgic, maybe. Like, we old guys always say that, right? Like, they just don't make them like they used to. But I have been complaining a lot lately. It feels old and grittier than, like, a kind of a movie from another time, like the new Hollywood era of the 70s and 80s. For sure. It does. And like even even the opening establishing shots of New York for some reason just felt a little different than and, – and, and maybe it's because you've got like this synth score and then like the text on the screen and the way that they do the opening credits is different, right? Like, like I, there's just something fun that they're doing with the medium, even with these little tweaks that um, immediately draws me in. And then, and then with Uncut Gems and Good Time, both of them – both of those films explore time, like the compression of time and like when the fucking forces are coming against you, like you got to make decisions and sometimes the decisions you make are bad decisions. I, I had a friend one time a long time ago say that like sometimes your decisions make decisions for you and that's uh-huh. what these films to me are all about. Like you don't make the decision but the decisions that you make make the decisions and I, I heard like some people, you know, were complaining. They're like, what's the fucking moral of this movie in good time? Like this, there's, there's no like good moral. I'm like, it's just fucking the chaos of time and decision making you know that's, like that's your takeaway from the movie is the, the chaos of time you make a decision and then the next thing you know like 20 hours later you're trapped and you look back and you're like how the fuck did i get here uh-huh. but it's just because you've just been in like decisions making decisions survival and it's almost like you're behind like time is like ahead of you almost and you're like behind it trying to keep up constantly and, and that creates this like anxiety as you're watching it right And you're like oh fuck and then you find out that it's like he doesn't rescue his brother from the hospital but it's some random dude and then he gets sucked yeah. into that and you're like that's right. his decisions making decisions for him right like like oh fuck he's like trapped in a situation that he didn't choose to be in right um and i think they get that really well and that's interesting i will say this and i think this is something that can open up a really broad conversation and i tweeted about it just to ask people's opinions on it we live in a time where we are really questioning casting right like yeah we're we're trying to to pay attention to diverse experiences and give voice to diverse expressions watching this film knowing that Benny Safdie does not have cognitive disabilities but playing that character it did put a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth really? just from the beginning so yeah. I, I, I that's a very interesting i we definitely should tackle this because because th- that was actually, the, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. That was the most interesting part of my second watch here, right? Okay. Because when I watched the first time, 
You know, uh, 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 I had no clue who these people were and who he was. And I legitimately, I I knew, yeah, I knew what Josh Safdie looked like. I didn't know what Benny Safdie looked like. So I didn't even know that that was him. But I had, but you did know apparently while you watched the movie that he did not have cognitive disabilities. We Google, we Googled it during, cause my girl was like, during, uh, are you son of a bitch? I know, I know. So yeah. then, so then it threw me off because that opening scene, I was like, so interesting. And then Googled it threw it me off. The you're watching the, the, you're in the middle of the movie. I know. Austin, I know. Austin, Austin, shame him, everybody out there. And listen, listen I know. There. So yeah, I mean, I'm watching the fucking movie and I'm going, wow, how did they get this actor? You know, how did they get, like, who is this? And I did think during the movie, I'm like, like, I was wondering, I mean, I don't know if that just is proving how stupid I am and gullible, but like, I, w- <laughs> I, I thought and was like, I was like, there's no, by the end of it, I was for sure that he just did, you know, he was, uh, you know, had actual cognitive disabilities. Is that the right yeah. term for it? But, uh, yeah, so when the second time I'm watching it, I'm definitely watching it through the lens of having seen him in other stuff, having seen fucking him in li- Licorice Pizza, seen him in interviews. And I'm like, whoa. I, I was like, I was kind of just more impressed with the performance. And then, yeah, there is the question of like, okay, what are the ethics of this? And I have heard him yeah. talk about it in interviews. And I do, you know, essentially see what they're coming from. Like, you can't put somebody like that in this situation, in a situation like, I mean, like this, like you said, an anxiety inducing intense shoot that uh, requires what it required. Right. Like, yeah, that would be, that would be bad and unethical to yeah. some let's, degree. Let's talk about that on the other side of uh, me kind of reading a synopsis because yeah, they do have an explanation and they have a rationality. And then I even tried to do some digging. I was really looking for like some real thoughtful think pieces and I couldn't find too many. I saw a lot of think pieces about the film and its dealings with race and stuff like that. And then like class and crime and justice and, and all these different things. But I didn't find too many dealing with the uh, issue of like disability theory. So if people are out there that are listening, if they know of any really interesting think pieces or if they have really good takes on it, friggin' let us know, you know, contact us and, yeah, and, and send that stuff in because I'm curious about this. But okay, so before we start kind of appealing this thing apart, looking at the aesthetics, looking at what they do well, and then maybe even talking a bit more about this issue, um, let me just do a quick plot read and uh, then we'll get in on the other side. Okay. So Nick sits uncomfortably in a court-ordered therapy session where he talks about the time that he had a violent incident with his grandmother. He is mentally handicapped, although I would say cognitively disabled, and enough not to fully grasp anger management or the social repercussions for his actions. Nick's brother Connie bursts in and, to the displeasure of the therapist, forces Nick out of the room. The brothers then decide to rob a New York City bank for $65,000. While fleeing in a taxi, the die pack explodes in a money bag causing the driver to crash and Connie and Nick have to run away on foot and they try to wash off all the dye from their clothes and everything like that. Stopped by the police, Nick panics and runs but is arrested and sent to Rikers Island where in, uh, while Connie escapes. Now Connie attempts to secure a bail bond but he needs $10,000 more to get Nick out of jail and the money because it's been all stained by the dye pack exploding um, is not able to be exchanged so he has to convince his girlfriend Corey to pay with her mother's credit cards, but her mother cancels the cards, so they can't get him out that way. Connie then learns that Nick's been hospitalized after a fight with an inmate, so Connie tries to break him out of a hospital, unconscious and all bandaged up all over his face and stuff, and he convinces a woman to let them stay in her house with her 16-year-old granddaughter Crystal. Now, while they're watching TV, the news shows a photo of Connie's face, but to distract Crystal, he starts kissing her, and then he hears screams from the other room while they're kissing, and Connie realizes that the man he broke out of the hospital is not actually Nick, but another man who was released on parole named Ray and so the three of them then drive to the Adventureland amusement park where Ray stowed a bottle of LSD solution worth several thousand dollars and a bag of stolen money before he ran from the police and got hurt himself by jumping out of a car Um, Searching for the money, Connie and Ray uncover the bottle of LSD and are discovered by a security guard. Connie beats the living crap out of him. And then as police arrive, Connie steals the man's uniform and and Ray pours LSD, like a shitload of LSD, down the man's throat to make him totally incoherent. Connie convinces the police that, which is, I was watching that and I was like, dude, that is so fucked. But okay, so Connie... 
Connie convinces the police that the guard was the intruder and destroys a hard drive containing all the security footage. So police arrest Crystal as well as she waits outside because uh, she can't really explain what she's doing there. Now, Ray and Connie break into the guard's high-rise apartment. Uh, the guard has a pit bull that Connie lets smell the guard's jacket so that they let him in. And Ray begins drinking and Connie tells him that he's a leech on society, leading to a heated argument. Then at Connie's insistence, Ray calls his criminal friend Caliph or Caliph to buy back the LSD so that they can get the bail money. Now, when Caliph arrives, Connie demands $15,000. Caliph agrees, but he tells Ray that he's really going to retrieve a firearm and come back and kill Connie. Now, after Caliph leaves, Connie senses danger and leaves with the acid as he made it uh, to the hallway, or as he makes it to the hallway, Ray attacks him in order to prevent him from leaving, but then the dog attacks Ray, giving Connie the opportunity to flee with the drugs. So Ray goes back to the room, calls Caliph, but what he, when he looks over the balcony, he sees Connie getting caught by the police. So Ray attempts to escape from a window, but falls to his death. Meanwhile, Connie is thrown into the back of a police car, thinking about everything that has transpired, and the film ends with Nick in a therapy class, beginning to participate in a group activity, with his therapist inferring that Connie Connie has confessed and taken responsibility for his role in the bank robbery, and that that was a good thing. End of movie. All right, but now it's time to give a shout out to our sponsor of this week's episode, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community where you can connect with other like-minded people and creatives and where you can explore projects that you are passionate about. The thing that makes Skillshare so cool is that you can unleash your creativity and you can pursue your passions right from the convenience of your own home or your car or your office or your cabin in the woods or an airplane or wherever it is that you happen to be. They offer thousands of classes for creative and curious people on topics like iPhone photography, drone filming, editing, digital design, act art activism, fine art print art, all the arts, all the creative things, anything that you can really imagine that you would want to do in the creative sphere, Skillshare has something for you. So if you want to explore your creativity and you want to connect with some really cool people, make sure to go to skillshare.com slash smtm and you get a free trial of their premium membership. That's skillshare.com slash smtm and you get a free trial of their premium membership. Skillshare.com slash SMTM or click the link down below. All right, back to the show. All right, okay, so let's start packing this film apart. First things first, let's start talking about the aesthetic of this film. That's yeah. something that you really you really wanted to get into. So lead lead the way. What What is like your favorite thing about the aesthetic of this film? Well, okay, so obviously they shoot on film, okay? And I think we should talk about this. It looks uh, great. It looks fucking great. Because yeah. I uh, uh, have gone back and forth in my life on how much I care about this, right? You know, when I'm growing mm. up, I'm like, oh, I'm going through film school. Oh, it's got to be film, man. That's the way. That's the way to do it. But I've slowly, <laughs> I slowly got kind of uh, talked into like, oh, you can absolutely make digital stuff either look like film enough or whatever. And it's very, very useful in other ways. So I kind of yeah. for forever have not really given a shit. You can tell a cool story with it. But, man, the, I think it goes back to I haven't been excited about that many movies lately. And then I, you watch this, and every frame of this is just, like, amazing to, to watch and look at. And it's, like, fucking yeah. Robert Pattinson, but it's in this gritty film. And I'm like, it has to be part of the subconscious aesthetic yes. of film that is yes. that is contributing to this. It just has to be. And there's there really seems to be no actual substitute. Uh, uh, you, you, I rarely see a movie that I'm like, wow, that looks like it was shot on film. And then I go back and I find that it was no shot on digital. There's, you know, there's maybe a couple like collateral or something, the Michael Mann movie that has this kind of weird grainy aesthetic, but was totally shot on digital. There's not many like that, you know? Um, yeah. so I absolutely think that there's something to that now I, I've been rebrain programmed to my formal idea. Right, right. Do you think that it's because you only have a limited a limited capacity. With digital, you can just fucking hit record. No. Keep it going. You can go, go, go. With film, you've got to set up. You've got to know. You've got to have a little bit more intentionality with what you're doing. No, I I, I don't think that's it. Because, uh, oh. uh, 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 I mean, there is something to be said for that, like in the terms of, of just letting it go and Judd Apatow shooting 10 million fucking feet of film and then it just <laughs> right. showing in the final product, even though it is on film. But, and yeah, 
that's a whole other conversation. The uh, the the uh, uh, giving the whatever you want to call it the uh, uh, limitations of and stuff and using that to your advantage. What I'm talking about, the, 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 there's this one I forgot who said it. I think it was Walter Merce, the famous editor, but he says like if you show a, a, a room and you shoot it on film and you show a chair in an empty room, your mind is like something. What is about to happen? You know. What is going, you know, this is telling a story. It's like you're waiting for something to happen to the chair. And then if you shoot it on digital, you're sitting there and you're just like, you're just seeing a chair in a room or something. I'm fucking up the quote. Mm. I should look it up. Yeah. But basically the two mediums, it, 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 it is doing something to your brain. Somebody can probably explain it better than me. That is, that is causing anticipation rather than just looking at the thing. Observation, I guess. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering why that is like, do you think there's something, is it because like, if you didn't know it was film, would it still have that effect? Like looking at the chair yeah, in the room? Yeah. I think that, 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 that's what I'm saying is that the, the, the medium has this subconscious effect that actually makes you, mm. uh, more engaged with the image, you know, like, uh, yeah. and it doesn't matter if you know it, it's just, is working on you. It's, it's, it's. The, the limitations of the craft, yeah. you know, that are helping here's, here's Here's my speculative theory as the philosopher trying to be like, I wonder what it is. I wonder if it's because digital looks so crisp that we don't have to do as much work to be invested in the image. Whereas film, it kind of like pulls us in. It almost has like this seductive quality because uh-huh. it's not so crisp and clean. And so we almost have to do a little bit more work to get into it like like there's there's something about the way that the light is hitting our eyes that draws us in a little bit more that isn't the same when when we're looking at a digitized image which um which is a little bit crisper and cleaner which gives us more of an immediate experience and so our our kind of like tendency to work isn't as um as heightened and so it's just a little bit of an easier like you just said instead of like feeling like ooh, what's gonna happen next i'm being drawn in and i'm leaning forward looking at the filmic image when i look at the digital image it's like oh it's just present before me you know something like that that's that's what i'm wondering I don't yeah know. like with w- w- ang lee uh the filmmaker you know uh he you know, was shooting in what two hundred and ten frames a second in this insane, <laughs> uh, uh, with these insane cameras, and I was just listening to him talk because I respect him so much, and and James Cameron and and Peter Jackson were so on board with this shit. Like I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds right. Like the 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 future is these high frame rate. Like you're right, fucking there, you know. And um mm. and when I saw The Hobbit. I was just like, this sucks. Like we've talked about, it, we've complained about it on this before. It feels like you're there, but it feels like you're there on set watching a bunch of people in shitty costumes. You know, because mm. it's so realistic that you're literally you don't want to have it be that realistic. The whole a movie is supposed to draw this. you into a story, and you're like, you are. It's this whole contract with the audience. Like, yeah, we know that this is fake, but we're trying to make you feel like you're there, but you don't want to really be there on set with them filming the thing. Right. It's stupid. Exactly. It, it, everyone looks right. like an idiot. We need a distance. We need a yeah. distance. We need it. We need a distance so that we can engage our imaginations so we can participate. I fucking love right. it. This is why I like practical effects because I, I kind of want to see the rubber suit. I kind of want to see the silicon on the face. I kind of want to see the fact, like this is why I love the theater so much because the theater, you have to do a lot of work to be like, hey, I'm imagining that they're at a train station or I'm imagining that they're in um, in a bedroom or whatever, right? But when it's so immediate and so presented, it really takes that effort away from us. Yeah, I, I kind of, I dig that. The, the, the realistic photography works best for documentaries and sports, especially, where it's just like, okay, yeah, you want to feel like you're there while it's happening, but that there's no, there's not this narrative contract isn't involved you know Mm. the other thing you want the artificiality a little bit you know yes yeah 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 
I like that because it does cause us to engage and it, it's precisely what you said. It's that leaning forward and if you're not constantly leaning forward like what's going to happen next but if you're kind of sitting back and you're just receiving one that just makes you a passive consumer of something, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't it actually doesn't empower you. It's actually disempowering you but also just in terms of like from from entertainment perspective I don't think we want to be so passive. I think we want to be like oh shit what's going to happen you know I don't know how to feel like oh my gosh. Like so there's some thing about how like if we can use art to create ourselves as like active engagers um that then that that i think has a lot of power right that has a lot of potency in 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 one just crafting people to be involved in the story but then what it does is then it changes people because that's what we're doing we're trying to tell a story to affect people somehow and so you'll have greater impact if you can suck them in a little bit more and you can cause them to be more actively involved rather than just being like, hey, here are some fucking sexy or sleek or cool or clear or clean images that we're just going to bombard you with. Yeah. and uh, Interesting. Yeah, exactly. I think we got to the bottom of, of film. I, I, the, 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 <laughs> we the figured other, it out. The, yeah, I think we figured that out. Should we show them the meeting. The <laughs> other part of the aesthetic I'd like to get into, too, is the use of music, right? Because yeah. that was really when I knew we were on board because it starts with this amazing interview uh, between Benny Safdie and his therapist, and you get literally, you know, he's crying on camera in the first, the mm. first uh, uh, scene, and stuff, which to me was powerful. And then, it's but great. then all of a sudden, yeah. Robert Pattinson comes in <laughs> against character and just is like uh, takes him out, and then the music starts, and we're getting this amazing intro, and I'm like, okay, wow. Now, you know, I'm on board now. Like the juxtaposition of those two scenes was great. And the music starts and basically doesn't let up. It's this amazing synth score by their collaborator, I forget his name. But he also did the stuff for Uncut Gems, which also has like wall-to-wall synth, driving synth music that I think works so well as a juxtaposition to what they're filming, which is this kind of gritty real-life handheld camera work stuff, but also, you know... Uh, they're using, like I said, editing and the the, the music to kind of also help drive the story, and they do it to such good effect. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think one of the things I love synth stuff, right? Like, Me too, um, baby. John Carpenter, let's go. You know, it's, it's why Stranger Things, that opening of Stranger Things, was so lovely. You know, because um, it's just got that that there's something again about that vibe that I don't know if it's like an '80s thing. And obviously, Stranger Things is all about that '80s nostalgia, right? Uh-huh. And Carpenter, when we're talking about Carpenter, we're talking about like '70s and '80s, right? So there again, there's something about like the synth, um, the use of synth. That that I don't know what it does. It's because it's like both it like lulls you into like because it's like a repeating pattern, so it can like lull you in. But then at the same time, you can just add in like a and it kind of just I don't know what it does. It just it 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 like really affects your mood in so many ways, and and I don't know like I, I you know we watched we talked about the Batman on the, the on the podcast. Um, what was it last week or whatever it was? And um, and the thing about the Batman for me was I talked about the how the sound editing of that film did a lot of work and i don't just mean the score but i just meant like it was so loud and it was so overwhelming that it was like pulverizing me right Mm -hmm. and i don't know like it was almost too much it was almost that i was overstimulated and again maybe this is the same sort of thing like i felt like i was being impressed upon whereas with a film like this and maybe there's something about a smoothness that accompanies the synth sound aesthetic that I didn't feel like I was pulverized. The anxiety that I felt didn't come from the fact that I felt like I was being beaten. It was almost like it was like uh, like I had internalized it so much, but I had an opportunity to internalize it, which is then what led to like the, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, or oh fuck, are you kidding me? Like that wasn't his brother, like that kind of shit. Rather than like almost being forced how to feel because here comes a big hit or a big explosion or a big loud boom and you're like you're like told how to think and you're told what to feel this was more like an invitation to feel if that makes sense and yeah, i think yeah, that's yeah. something that's really cool about the synth as well totally yeah i can I, yeah. I can see that yeah i love it i'm just i'm just a fan of that and then i think this also ties into the lighting as well you know you get this like these dark reds and like purples and um, real moody and 
um, I think that kind of fits in too as well. It's it's kind of again very um, I don't know. Is it seventies eighties? Like I feel like it is. It's something like that. You know, it's like it's like when I first saw Drive. I was like, fuck yeah! Like Drive is a little bit brighter, but um, you know, because Nicholas Winding Refn is famously colorblind, so he has to use like primary colors, right? Mm-hmm. And bright primary colors, because or like contrasting colors, because he doesn't really see the grays in between, right? right. So, um, but it's the same sort of thing. It's like like that type of lighting and moods and and things like that that kind of map in and i think that the safties use that really well as well not just in this but also in uncut gems you know I, the lighting I, was great i think the lighting and uh kind of goes back to uh you know the, the to, to, to use a very overblown cliche you know whenever there's like <laughs> a new york movie people are like yeah. new york is what character in the movie baby you know and, and this is a new york a gritty new york crime movie and and mm. uh there is this kind of subgenre of film that we could get into uh uh of yeah it's a they are using the city to an effect and the lights and stuff involved uh to kind of you know really create this atmosphere in this in this universe in this mood um which i think you know the movies like uh after hours the martin scorsese movie if you want to go watch it it's just yeah a guy running around the city after hours having to you know getting into all these weird shenanigans and people um my favorite this isn't probably one of their influences but a movie kind of like this that's like a comedy version is quick change with bill murray have you ever seen it i've never seen it it is a must see it's amazing it's yeah it's them rob a bank and then it's them trying to get out of the situation and all this shit's going wrong um i fucking love it everyone go watch quick change i mean like it it does make sense though right you can't do i'd love to see it but you can't really do like a film in new york uh where it's like super bright and like light and happy you could and i think that's buildings man (laughs) <laughs> and billboards shining lights in your faces and it's, and it's tough and it's a fucking hustle and it's a it's a it's a concrete jungle and there's fucking <laughs> yeah baby. Know, big huge inequalities and it's like the struggle it's like the fucking human organism and all of its messiness it's a melting is, pot is like of the world yeah whereas california the films are always like yellow and bright and yeah. sunny, you know? And it's like, well, first of all, that's not all of California, Sunburst. but it's always like L.A. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, here's Venice Beach, and this is California, you know? Um, Sand-colored. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. So in a way, they are serving the context quite well by using the colors, but I think they do it in like a really enhanced way. So, so you know, like the red, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when you're walking the streets of a city late at night and you're under like a, uh, like a sign for a store like a laundromat or a sushi store or a barber and that cut and you look at your friends sometimes or and and or you'd see your, your reflection in your mirror and the lights shining on your face and it's always like this refracted and you don't it, you it looks very sort of like maybe we've romanticized it because of movies or something like that but it, it kind of always looks a little like um like magical like almost surreal or something like that that's what the color reminds me of it reminds me of that they're like constantly under the the lights of like i don't know some sort of like sign that was that was made like that 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 kind of like ready purpley kind of glow you know because mm-hmm. it's totally artificial because that color doesn't fucking exist as we're like walking around outside in our day oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's that's what it makes <laughs> me movie. think of I, yeah, yeah yeah totally but i love it because it just kind of it makes me feel like like you can't get away from humans right like like <laughs> there's no nature in this it's not like you know you watch a terrence malick film and it's like, you know, they're in fucking Switzerland, like a hidden life. Yeah, they're in the fields and there's open. And it's like, oh, I can touch the divine and shit like that. This film, there's no fucking God. There's no divine. <laughs> there's no outside. You're not you're not escaping, man. I met that guy with oppressed. the LSD saw God. The Sprite bottle <laughs> yeah. full. That, Fuck, uh, man. That the, was brutal. The, the, yeah, uh, really, just touching on that scene, too. Talk about an effective use of... of props basically like in storytelling like all it is is just somebody pouring a sprite bottle into somebody's mouth but my whole theater was just like oh my god it was a visible visceral reaction but uh yeah you know very effective just because of uh the story they were telling my my partner had gotten up to go to the bathroom at that point and i was like oh my god i was like oh my god and she's like what i was like he just literally poured a fucking you gotta rewind it 
gulp, gulp of LSD into this passed out dude's mouth. <laughs> so, I know, man. It's fucking brutal. Um, so, so I do know that, like, like, so let, let's talk about, like, some of the themes of this movie. Like, what do we think that this story is is talking about? Is this about, like... Um, brotherly love and and protecting your brother is this about um someone's you know overinflated sense of justice like you know like maybe this is the film that got him batman actually because it's like hey he's a fucking man that is craving justice um but like like what do we think what are the themes that that this film is exploring i think we can start about what this movie's about with the very last scene because the last scene of the movie is what to me brings it up from a nine to a ten like a must-see mm. classic, which is, you know, when he's back, the book end of the movie, when he's back at the uh, uh, therapist's office, and then mm. uh, they're explaining what happened to Connie, and then uh, uh, it's him with the credits rolling, hanging out with the other, um, you know, people at his new home, right? Yeah. I was sitting there going like, wow, like, like very touched. Again, not knowing who the actor was and or his cognitive abilities. But uh, I was just being like, wow, this is such a touching way to end this this insane, otherwise insane movie. So, uh, mm. uh, and I was like, what am I supposed to get from from this uh, uh, part of the film? And I'd like you to answer what you got from it. But to me, it was the fact it, it was a very simple story. It was it was ninety percent of it is, you know, a guy on you know that's broken bad who's you know kind of taking advantage of his brother. But then, um, and, and leading him down a bad path of just a you know a bad egg, but then finding an ounce of <laughs> of goodness, good good time in his heart, you know what I mean, and kind of taking one taking one for his brother, going to prison for what he's done, and and then wanting him to have a better life without him, and kind of uh, uh, sa- I, not really a sacrifice because he got caught, you know, God knows what he would have done if he didn't. But I guess it's like he learned a little lesson at the end. And so it's like, I don't know, bad people can still <laughs> can still uh, have a, find a little goodness in them. And then, yeah. You know. and, and even though he he was he was still surviving, like if he could have kept fighting and kept going and kept going, he would have kept going. But he got caught because the, the justice system, right. the, the police system caught up with him. Uh-huh. And so the therapist, now the he's therapist, serving good he's time. Talking, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And, and when the therapist is telling Nick about it. He's basically saying it like like this is a good thing. He's in a he's in the place where he belongs and he's taken responsibility for what he's done and um somehow that like is supposed to according to like the societal idea that's supposed to like wrap a little bow on this, right? Like you do a bad thing, uh you 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 do the harm or you do the crime and then you serve the time, right? And that that's that's uh-huh. a good thing. That like that like levels the scales or something. Um, I did think that there's something interesting. So the film starts obviously with Nick in in like that room with that therapist who's having him have he's asking him questions and he's giving him prompts and he's like writing down Nick's response to these prompts based on how Nick interprets the meaning of those things. So he gives him a couple of those cliches, right? Like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Like what does that mean? Right. Sort of thing. Um, and so the idea is, is that he's trying to get Nick to somehow scrape beneath the surface to see if he can elaborate like what is below the surface? What's really important? What's what's the meaning of things? And then at the very end when the therapist is like, okay, so the meaning of all of this is that um, you know if you do a bad thing, you you kind of have to pay for it, or there are consequences for your actions, or something along those lines. And then there's this moment after that that I think is actually even more important, where Nick is sitting there and the woman who's leading this class with all of these different people and is asking them to move if they have certain um, if they have certain have had certain experiences or if they like certain things, right? Like, like if cross the room if you like chocolate or cross the room if this or cross the room if that. And Nick doesn't move. Nick stays there. Nick Nick doesn't move until she says, "Cross the room if you've ever had like a fight with your family or if you've ever had if you've ever been let down by your family." And then he moves, right? And so for me, it's almost like the therapist is trying to to say, hey, there are consequences for your actions. But Nick still is living with the pain of the fact that his brother let him down, that yeah. he's that he's still hurt. So there is no That's a beautiful just, way like, to look at it. 
like justice wasn't fully ever served you know like there is no way to really like heal the wound you know perfectly he's still hurt by it and this was great because this was the before he couldn't express himself but now he could and the way that he expressed himself was by by making that movement that yeah i've been i've been let down by my family before something like that so that's I'm, i was kind of struck by that um and and the, also the, the the consequences for your actions thing is all is obviously a huge part of the whole structure and story of the movie too. Is just like you said before, like every single decision that they make at some point something fucks up, and then it leads to a, a, another dumb decision that they're going to have to uh, fork in the road. That they're going to come to, so that's a huge you know theme throughout the film as well. All right, time for a break. Got to give a shout out to Shutter. Shutter has been a loyal sponsor of this podcast, and we freaking love them. I use Shutter because I love horror films. I love scary things. I love psychological twister thriller, mind bending, f you up and maybe make you sleep differently kinds of movies. And if you are like me and you enjoy the supernatural, thriller, horror, etc., etc., then you're gonna love Shutter. So they've actually got pretty much everything that you could think of from original films like Superhost, The Boy Behind the Door, PG Psycho. Gorman. They've also got a hit series called Creep Show that's really cool that's executive produced by Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead fame, if y'all were fans of that. And then, of course, they've got classics, too, like freaking Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then, like, new releases like VHS 94 and Hellbender. So they've really got freaking everything for uh, that you can watch on all your devices and, like, series, films, classics, new releases, etc., etc. And you can get all of this with their massive expanding library for just $5.99 a month. So if you are like me and you can't get enough horror, scary shit, icky stuff, mind-bending stuff, then make sure you go to Shudder.com and use the code SHOWME, that's Shudder, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, use the code SHOWME and you will be able to stream your first 30 days for free. So go to Shudder.com and then use the code SHOWME to get your first 30 days for free at Shudder.com, code Show me. Go get your creep on. Go get your creep on. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. All right, let's talk about um, the elephant in the room that we talked about in the opening with my first impression. Uh, yeah. um, you know, when I when I first started watching this, I did not know. I, I thought that maybe this was an actor who was hearing impaired um, because, you know, you, you see the, uh-huh. um, the inner ear, the inner, I don't know if it was like a, what's it called? Like the inner ear monitor or whatever it is. Um, and I thought that maybe it was an actor that actually was hearing impaired. And then come to find out that, no, this actor is not. It's actually Benny Safdie. What do we think about um, an actor that doesn't have uh, difficulties with cognitive ability or isn't cognitively disabled um, playing this type of role? Like, so much has been lamb- – like, like somebody in my Twitter mentions earlier was talking about fucking, like, I am Sam, you know, where it's like Sean well, That's Penn the worst doing- example, yeah. Yeah, and it's like we obviously that's the bad example, and then and then someone recently Norton I think was recently getting dragged for for playing somebody um, that was um, that was disabled. I can't remember. I, I don't even know what the role, I, but I know that he'd been kind of dragged a little bit. So it's like, what do we think? What do we think about this? Um, is this something like did it did it trigger you at all? Did you notice it? And then we can talk a little bit about what their defense was. But what, what do you think about this? Well, well. What what is their defense? Because we can, I mean, we kind of talked about it at the front, like you know, like like when I first saw it, I didn't know, so I just enjoyed the movie as it is, you know, and didn't really think about it, which arguably is a way to enjoy a movie. It's just like you know, not worrying yeah. about the making of the film and just <laughs> seeing, seeing it for what it is, you know, you uh, 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 and death of the author kind of thing. But then I know that there's yeah. a whole 
I know that there is a, uh, you know, there's a whole ethics to this, to, 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 to casting and representation and, and whatnot. And, uh, right. I mean, I really don't feel qualified to even, uh, uh, know what I'm yeah. talking about here, you know, but, um, yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what their defense is. Cause I've got it right here. Um, but, um, yeah, so this is what they said. They said on casting a character of the brother, Nick, who has an intellectual disability, Josh Safty said, we were looking into casting actors with real disabilities and we were very far along in that process, but we were interviewing a lot of people, but we ended up looking at our schedule, which was very aggressive and looking at a lot of the scenes that call, called for intricate blocking and action set pieces. Because of this, in the end, an action, an action movie, we realized that the actor wouldn't have much agency in those scenes. We'd be pushing them around and manipulating and that morally crossed the line for us and then Benny jumped in and said the last thing we wanted to do was have that character be taken advantage of from behind the camera so my initial response is at 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 one level the idea of not wanting to take advantage of somebody is obviously important and that's great but I think there's a fine line between saying that and then being patronizing and then saying making the decision for somebody else that, oh, they are not capable. And while it, while that might be true to certain extents or, or lesser extents, the question is, is what is the process by which somebody else makes a decision on what somebody else's abilities are? There, there, would, there would need to be like a real thorough vetting process, I would think, before you can make such statements. Because if you don't do that, then it is just patronizing and it is just ableism i mean not to be fucking you know cliche trying to throw fucking culture war terms out there but that is that is i'm not sure that that argument always holds and so again like maybe this is out of our depth because um neither of us have any sort of cognitive uh, disabilities but you know i i wonder i wonder what that is and, and, and this it- leads to a bigger point that that I'll that I'll talk about on the other side, but yeah, go ahead. Is what makes it ableist the fact that you're saying that they uh, if they didn't have the casting process, you know, the, if they just kind of go, oh well, no one could do this when you, when you're saying someone you know very well could have that, that that's what would make it ableist, or the just the very act of trying to act, you know, uh, outside of your neurological condition, is that the ableist part? It's. It's the presumption that somebody else doesn't have agency. So their argument was is that like somebody might not have agency in that scenario and we didn't want to take advantage of them. Obviously, you should always be careful and never want to take advantage of somebody. The question is, is how do you determine that somebody else doesn't have agency in those situations, right? So I, I guess then it depends on, on like who you would hire, right? Like there are people with cognitive impairments that – have high degrees of agency right and so for me it just it just makes me feel like um that that's a little bit of um that they didn't do enough due diligence there is what i wonder you know in in trying to actually consult with people in the disabled community Mm -hmm. and things like that but does that make sense so it's more about like it's, a, it's like if I make a decision for you and I'm like, well, I'm not going to cast Ryan because uh, Ryan's just not, you know, he's just not capable enough to handle this. So so I, I was far along in the process with Ryan, but he's not capable enough. Now, that's like a that's like a that would be a little bit offensive. But if I fundamentally like take away your agency um, and then you also are part of a community that has been oppressed because it's just presumed that you don't have the capacity to communicate or presumed that you don't have the agency. To me, I wonder if that's not just veering too much into a type of like top down, like I know what's best for you type of thing. Even though, I, but we obviously do have to be careful and we don't want to take advantage of people that might be able, to, that, that might be in a position to be taken advantage of. So it's like, you know, it's teetering right there. There's a fine line. Yeah, there's a, I, uh, the fine line is right, yeah, because I never know what to <laughs> what to think when I when it comes down on the on situations like this, you know, because I I see it from both ways in a, in a weird way, but I also uh, yeah I, I was gonna bring up too I, I have this um, weird personal experience with this I made a movie in college and one of the characters had Down syndrome um, in the script and we hired we, we cast uh, we went to a school and and cast you know from like twenty people. Uh, somebody and uh it was only like three scenes but uh it was a lot more uh 
intense than I anticipated for them. You know what I mean? Like, like they took it very mm. seriously. The fact that they were in this movie, you know, and yeah. it was, it was obviously, which I wanted, but, but at the same time, you know, these were just kind of simple dialogue scenes and stuff. And, and I kind of, in hindsight, regretted how I was like, I was like, man, I, you know, we could have prepared this better. You know what I mean? And stuff. And, and so I kind of, I don't know. Like that's just my personal experience. But like I, I being on a movie set is a very intense thing, you know. Yeah. Like for anybody, even if and, and, you know, uh, uh, no matter fuck, who yeah. you are, you know. And and this then this goes to like think the bigger picture. For me, there's like two two big issues with this. One, you got to make the movie that you're able to make. And if you if you can't if you can't do the due diligence to make the movie while doing like adequate work in the vetting process and the preparation process and the casting process then maybe that's not the movie you need to make at that point right and if you're if you write a script and you've got this great idea that you're like man it would be so great if i if i told the story and it's a uh it's 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 a story about like a family and one of the characters um you know uh has autism and um you know but 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 you can't do the the appropriate work to get somebody that's going to be in that role that is that is adequate to what that role demands then maybe that's not the story you need to tell right now right like maybe you need to wait until you can tell that story like for because i know they were talking about like their timing restrictions and it's you know an independent film and the budget and and we do it in like like real locations and we didn't want to put somebody in you know in in a prison because that could be overwhelming i get it but then maybe that's not the story you need to tell right now like like was it necessary that he had cognitive disabilities like that's that's one of the one of the the things that i I keep questioning Sure, I get and this that. is like a film, like a filmmaking, just a bigger filmmaking. Like, make the film that you can make right now adequately. No, I uh, 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 totally. I, I guess my only counterpoint to that, Devil's Advocate, would be you know, <laughs> as I said before, like I fucking love this movie. I think it's a ten out of yeah. ten. And, and 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 having seen it cold without knowing anything, uh, I thought it was an amazing performance. So I guess to me, it's like. I guess you're you're asking me to say like what I, what I rather the movie we got not exist, you know, at, uh, be, because yeah. of you know for this reason, and which is a perfectly I'm not saying illegitimate question at all. I mean it's like I get you know uh, uh, I get what you're asking. You know, it's just kind of I don't know. It's a difficult thing. What do you it think? Is a difficult thing. What is your answer yeah, to well, this? I fucking fucking my answer to this is this is why I'm a philosopher is because this just allows us to ask more questions and listen (laughs) to more people you know (laughs) you gotta give an answer a definitive answer do you want good time not to exist or not yeah um I I I I think I'll be honest where I am right now I think in its current state that in its current state I don't think it's necessary that a okay. film like this that that a film like this gets made in this way, um, and I think that's that's a bummer. And, and because uh, side question: if you had not Googled it at the beginning of the film yeah. and had no idea, and then went the rest of the film, was there anything? Was there was there things in the film that you were like, oh, that was obvious, and this made me kind of weird and uncomfortable? Or do you think that it was that knowledge uh, of the behind the scenes? making of the movie that that caused the discomfort it was the knowledge of it a hundred percent yeah so you think as it is the movie works i think absolutely and i think i think that that's interesting but i almost wonder if that makes it even more worse it makes it worse yeah (laughs) i see that too Yeah. yeah um and so this is where I'm, I'm running into the limits of my own like expertise and experience and ability to talk about this. But this is why what I think is important then is what this does is this opens us up to be like, okay, so we know that like films like I Am Sam or like maybe even What's Eating Gilbert Grape, like that probably just don't get made in that same way anymore, right? And then we have other examples like Peanut Butter Falcon, um, you know, or there's that like, you know, like in, in the bad one, we have the fucking Sia film that got made like last year or whatever, where like Maddie Ziegler or whatever her name was, was like 
called out for playing, you know, a person with autism, even though she doesn't have autism. Uh, and then Sia was called right. out, and they were like, no, 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 screw you, we're going to do it. Yeah. yeah, and it was like, uh, um, but, you know, then you got a film like Peanut Butter Falcon, where they do cast somebody with Downs. Um, That's a you know, great example, actually, because as we were saying before, you know what I mean? Like, like, or as you were saying, like, everyone's, there's a whole spectrum of, of, of you know, people in the rainbow of, 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 of people with different limits, you know? So, like, yeah. Like the guy in Peter Brimmer Falcon was fucking awesome, you know, <laughs> so and like, oh, like, he yeah. was great. Like, uh, uh, and obviously they did their due diligence and knew, um, you know, and I, I think I saw interviews with him at the time. Like, it was just like, you know, that they went out of their way to make sure he was very comfortable in the filming. And so, you know, like I did, I never meant to insinuate, like it can't be done. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. So that was a good example. Yeah. And then and then here's the last thing I would want to say. Like this is this is obviously like two fucking able-bodied dudes talking about this isn't isn't the the sole like button on this answer. Which is why we need to open up to the community and and why it's so important to ask more questions. But the other thing that I think that plays into this, and this is one of my problems. This is one of my problems with like acting. I think a story like Good Time it shouldn't be about like, oh my God, Robert Pattinson was so good. And it shouldn't be about like, oh my God, Benny Safdie did that so great. He's so great. And it shouldn't just be about Jennifer Jason Lee fucking killed it, even though she's only on screen for like seven minutes. Even though all those things are true in the sense that their craft was at a high level, I just, I think we just fucking idolize people in their performance a little bit too much. And I say this as a fucking actor. I teach acting at like... I mean, well, I haven't finished teacher training yet, but at one of, like, the, the better schools in the world, you know? Like, so it's like... I Idolize like, performance. I love, I'm, I'm, I, I'm love, not... I love performance, and I love acting. It's just like, it's like, like you know, like when Christian Bale loses weight, it's like, oh my God, that guy, that guy is just, like, he, he transforms it. I'm much more interested in serving the story and the narrative to affect people as being primary, whereas, like, the actor, not so much that, like, meat puppets in the Hitchcockian sense, like, that he, like, totally disrespects the actor, but I feel like we just overinflate the people too much, you I know? I disagree. Like, oh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. I mean, I think that their two movies are case and are, are kind of a good dichotomy of what you're saying because I, I like the weird stunt casting stuff. That may be just a preference of mine, but you know when Quentin like Tarantino no, like does not- it. What? Like like the non actors or what do you mean? Well, non actors is cool. I love that when it works. You know, yeah. obviously all this is with the the thing that it works but um the yeah. understanding that it works but but yeah like when quentin you know the most famous example john travolta oh wow you know playing this cool different character that's fun because you have you're playing against people's perception i like when you know obviously when it's too stunty or it can feel like a gimmick yeah but that's just kind of like you know uh uh case case by case basis however i will say that there are two movies they've made they're, they're big ones Robert Pattinson. Oh wow, Robert Pattinson. He's not just a little Twilight. Pretty, he's not Twilight boy anymore. He's playing a gritty character. Yeah. Can he do it? Well, when I watched this movie, I at first I was skeptical. Like, okay, who the hell does he think he is? But he won me over, and also it was more importantly, I knew he was in good hands with the filmmaking. Like I said before, like mm. uh, I I could tell that the movie was great, so this was going to work uh, more than others. But then you have Uncut Gems, and I don't think that that movie works yeah. as well. On, for a lot of reasons, you know, script reasons, stuff. I still like it, but the stuff we'll talk about the stunt casting with Adam Sandler kind of being mm. to me. I couldn't help but think, okay, this is Adam Sandler trying to be a serious in this role, even even, even though he's in the, uh, uh, surrounded by all these either famous basketball players or just regular people. It didn't. It didn't. It somehow didn't work for me or feel as organic. It felt kind of more how we were talking about before, where I could. It felt like them making. You know, Adam Sandler making a lower budget movie. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Whereas this, I was on the ride. Like, what like, about you know, felt what about like when? Ride. What about Punch Drunk Love, where Adam Sandler is working with PTA, and that's like the first time that he, at least in my, from what I know, where I was like, oh my god, that's Adam Sandler doing like a serious role with like a serious filmmaker. That's a good uh, one too. That one's a little weirder, just because it's so strange. And and yeah. yeah, like I am thinking, like I'm pulled out because I'm thinking that it's Adam Sandler, but I'm pulled out the whole time because every scene is just so weird. I'm just like, like <laughs> I'm I'm more just amazed when I'm watching that movie about what it is. And then yeah, I, I do get into the love story. I think it's sweet, b- though bizarre and fucked up. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that movie's different. 
I would say. See, for me, I don't I don't feel like they're as gimmicky. Like when you get Jim Carrey doing Truman Show or when you get Will Ferrell doing Stranger Than Fiction, you know? Like those those roles don't don't um, cause as much friction for me because I just believe that if you learn improv and if you're an improv actor, then you can do you can do drama. Like improv to me is the basis of real good performance because you're open to the moment rather than trying to force your idea onto the script or the scene or the moment or whatever. So for me, it's never surprising when I see a comedic actor who has spent so much time improvising then do a dramatic role because they just get how to connect with the person, with the moment, to receive what's coming at them rather than block it and ignore it. Like the bad acting for me is when you see people who it's like, I don't know. They they they've taken a few acting classes. Maybe they went to drama school, but they don't know how to be totally affected, um, and they aren't affectable in the moment. But but comedic actors are great at that because they just. That's why John C. Riley is such a fucking tremendous actor because he just moves between both of those spheres, drama and and comedy, so effortlessly, right? Or Philip Seymour Hoffman, like my God, like it, Twister, his role in Twister as this like crazy weird tornado hunter from that to boogie night to capote to fucking synecdoche new york i mean like he he can do because he just gets the moment to moment being present sort of thing you know so for me i never i never really feel like the robert pattinson one going from twilight to cosmopolis to the rover to good time that's different because he's been branded by the media as the twilight guy Mm-hmm. And so that's why that's why I think it like it's like no no I'm a fucking serious actor so that to me is cool and it's like him it's like a, a person trying to prove something but I think what I'm more getting at is like I don't know humans we just love to fucking worship you know if we're not worshiping God we're worshiping fucking actors and I don't know well, who who's worshiping the actors from Good Time I guess I'm trying to no, find the the it's just like this subtle like oh my god like when someone can transform themselves and they can do the role of playing somebody with cognitive disabilities so you mean well act it's good. like oh my, <laughs> yeah but yeah but it's like I just, like fuck man just do your job memorize That's your lines <laughs> memorize your fucking lines hit your mark and stop trying to pat yourself on the back for being like oh my god I just totally transformed myself I don't know I just feel like Actors are we're so self indulgent, and I just I'm around it all the time, so I'm really sensitive to it. <laughs> <laughs> and I say this as somebody who was when I was in my teens, I idolized fucking Brando, Sean Penn, and um, Daniel Day Lewis. Mm-hmm. Those were like, and and then of course like James Dean. I used to have a fucking James Dean poster above my bed, you know. But like that was like to me the pinnacle of acting, and it was like how much can you torture yourself? to get into the character and transform yourself anymore i'm much more about like acting is the art of showing the different sides of you that society don't allow you to show in in connection with the story in the truth of the moment so like what you love about robert pattinson isn't that he became some guy from new york even though he's a british guy it's that he found that part of him you know, what's the part of him, the kind of beautiful part of him that he was able to lean into and express in a different way? Those emotions and those feelings of protection and I'll do anything for my family. That's Robert Pattinson's heart on display. Like, not the one-tenth of Robert Pattinson that we get because he's the Twilight Boy. It's the other sides of Robert Pattinson that we don't get to see. And that's what makes the character so seductive and so interesting. That That's what I'm interested in. So, okay. I, see, I, I see where you're coming from. Uh, real quick, yeah. best actor yeah, yeah. working today question mark go my fa- my favorite the guy that i like have total talent crush on is mads mickelson all right that's a good answer i, I i'm yeah. gonna go uh joaquin phoenix oh really yeah, yeah. number one i i i i i yeah I, i'm phenomenal. psyched when he's in a movie i'm like yeah i know i know that i'm gonna enjoy you know the character at least he puts something yeah. into it yeah, I um, I, like my favorite movies of the last few years have been Mads Mikkelsen films. Like Another Round is like oh, yeah, that, right, and right. and then The Hunt. If you guys haven't yeah. seen The Hunt out there listening right now, you want to talk about a film that makes you feel things. Oh, it's gonna tie you up in fucking knots. I I <laughs> not, still feel uh, icky. and and be be careful to say not the <laughs> new one, not the the Blumhouse no. one with uh, where they're hunting people, hunting rednecks and stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, 2012, Thomas Vinterberg, Dan- Mads Mikkelsen. Danish movie. 
It's in Danish. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It was on Netflix for a long time. I don't know if it still is, but okay. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Um, I, should we talk about this announcement, bro? Yeah, I know. End of an era. It's a sad day and uh, show me the meaning land. But hey, you know, like we said at the beginning, all good things come to an end. Somebody and a lot that. of times, the caterpillar has to die so that it can become a butterfly. Exactly. And so new things are going to hopefully come out of this. But um, as Ryan said at the beginning, we have three shows left. So it's actually this one and then two more shows. We're going to go through March and then starting April, um, Show Me the Meaning and Culture Binge are actually – and really all of the Wisecrack podcasts are going to um, kind of be vaulted. Um, corporate has decided to go – You know, we've been purchased. I know people who have been with us for a while. There have been different sales and whatnot um, of the Wisecrack brand. And um, the corporate, the corporate um, community has decided to go in different directions and – um, you know, it sucks. We're bummed. Like, to be honest, like yeah. I, I fucking, I love this. It's for no other reason than I get to watch cool movies and talk to cool people every fucking week and share that with a community. And as silly as it sounds, I feel like in some ways we're contributing to helping people think about the world better and think uh, about their art better. And I think you are, you know, <laughs> no, we, no, I think you're doing a great are. job of that Austin. I'm here just, uh, just observing. <laughs> But uh, no, yeah, no, but this has been one of the highlights of my week for five years, too. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, I get to watch a movie this weekend. You know, either one I haven't seen or one I probably have seen. And more importantly, I get to see what my my buds think about it. You know, so exactly. this has been great. And then also yeah, we get to break so- it down at the same time. You know? Yeah. And, and learn about like, different perspectives and stuff like yeah, that, about how to even really interpret cool. these fucking things yeah so we don't really know exactly what the future is going to hold but um obviously um you know give us a follow on our socials um you know follow raymond on his social which is at crematoria you can check me out at um austin underscore hayden on instagram i'm sorry on twitter austin underscore hayden and on on insta it's aus underscore h-a-y um, Ryan, where 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 do people find you so they can learn about what you got going on? Well, and yeah, you know who knows what announcements we might have in the future, yeah. or what we might be doing. We can still be talking about movies in some form or another soon. At Ryan Shorts, you can check me out there um, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on YouTube. And Ryan's Game Show, go check out that thing I made a while ago too. Yeah, and there's been some talk about you know maybe doing some streaming versions of something on on um, on the main YouTube channel. We don't uh-huh. really know exactly what that means, but you know stick around. We are going to be fleshing this out over the coming weeks, and we'll make some more announcements uh, as each podcast gets released. But as I said, we got a couple more left, so freaking tell your friends, get people involved, and then come check out our socials so that we can keep you up to date with what we've got going on not just with wisecrack but also maybe going off and doing some other some other independent things but maybe movie related something like that we don't know yet so that's all we can say right now but uh, and 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 uh, speaking of the last two that last one is going to be a doozy we haven't planned it all out (laughs) yet but all we know is doozy okay go out with a bang it's on my calendar doozy and like i said before i look have looked forward to your you showed me the meaning the whole this whole time, Austin. So I would like to give Austin a special round of applause for being so knowledgeable about everything in the world. Well, thank, thank you. you. A lot of this is me bullshitting, so I appreciate you. Well, um, I, I've loved you. hearing bullshit. <laughs> I eat it up. Professional bullshitter. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, send us out of here, brother. All right. Goodbye from Hollywood, California. We've been having a good time today. And so, be the 